I once asked my husband what he found to be my most attractive quality. A question, by the way, that I wouldn't recommend asking your husband if he's anything like mine. Anyway, I asked him what he likes the most about me. And he goes, your credit score. Hello, my Time Crunch teachers, and welcome to the show. This is your team teacher, Marielle Derosier, here to help you optimize your teaching, technology, and time management. And today, your money. But all joking aside, my husband and I actually do take our credit score pretty seriously because for the first couple of years of our relationship, we had pretty bad credit and a lot of debt. And we worked really hard to change that around. So today I'm going to walk you through the exact steps I used to dig myself out of credit card debt, all while working on a teacher's salary. And yes, it's true. Today I have an 850 credit score. I know, super hot, right? (laughs) All right, step one is to take an honest look at your money. But before I jump into the specifics, if it wasn't abundantly clear already, I am not a financial advisor, nor am I any sort of expert in finance. I'm literally just some lady on the internet sharing my personal experience about how I was able to become debt-free. I highly highly recommend going to an actual professional who can take a deep dive into your personal finances and get you on the path to fiscal independence. I do think that some of my budgeting tips can be very helpful jumping off points for you, though, to get started. But talk to a real person at some point. Additionally, our situation may not be exactly like your situation. We were basically living beyond our means. But you may have taken on debt for reasons beyond your control, like being laid off from a job or having a lot of unforeseen medical bills. So it may not be possible for you to make drastic budget cuts. But if you're like us, overspending and having no idea how to budget, then these tips might be a good starting point for you. All right. In order to take an honest look at your money... You need to begin talking about money with your partner or spouse if you have a multi-income household. It is one of those areas in life that you cannot afford, literally or figuratively, to keep secrets. Now, I did not grow up in an era or culture where money was talked about, so this was a skill I had to learn. But I'm telling you, it will absolutely benefit you moving forward. You need to be able to put all of it on the table so that you can have an honest, realistic budget set for your household. There cannot be any surprises when budgeting. There are lots of online calculators and spreadsheets and that sort of thing in order to help you, but what matters most is looking at what money is coming in and what money is going out. You're going to have to write everything, yes, everything down. Uh, What we did is we just pulled up our prior month's bank statement and we created a ledger with reoccurring set expenses like rent or mortgage or your car payments, utilities, monthly subscriptions, and another group with categories like food, household items, or personal items. Write it all down and total it up. You also need to have your total credit card debt on there too. Yes, the total, not the monthly minimum payment. Be sure to also include large annual payments like property tax or home insurance if you pay those in lump sums as well. 
Now, write down your average monthly income for your household. For teachers, that tends to be pretty easy because we're most likely salaried and get the same paycheck per pay period. But be sure to include any additional income that you might have, too. Before you start budgeting, I want you to set some specific goals that will define what success looks like for you. This is really important because for us, we didn't really start with a long-term goal. We thought we did. Our goal was to pay off the debt. But what happened was once we paid that off, you know, we didn't really know what to do with that money, right? We actually had a pretty large sum of money that we were throwing at the debt every month. And then once the credit cards are paid off, we needed to know what to do with that money. So think of it like redecorating your living room. Without a clear picture or goal in mind, it's really easy to get sidetracked or start wasting money on random things that don't fit into the larger vision for a space. That's the same with money. You need a determined endpoint that tells you, okay, now we feel secure. It's also important to set a goal beyond the we're just paying off debt. Because once you get there, you might be tempted to just keep spending or acquiring just a little bit more of debt. And chances are, if you made it that far, you've made a lifestyle change. So you might as well start thinking about how you can make your money work for you in savings or some other way. Okay, here are my markers that I use to determine that I am fiscally fit and debt free, not counting my mortgage, of course. So I need to be able to bring in more money than I spend. I am able to pay off credit card charges in full before the end of the month. I can pay off large lump sum costs like my property tax without incurring interest or extra charges. I have $3,000 saved up in an emergency fund for things like unexpected auto repairs. And I have three to six months of full living expenses saved up in another account. If all of these are true, then I feel satisfied. And after living with debt anxiety for years, let me assure you, that feeling is amazing. Now I admit, when we first wrote down those goals, they absolutely sounded like a joke. It felt so improbable that we would ever get to the point having all of those things, you know, not only debt paid off, but also all of those different savings points and ability to pay lump sum expenses off, that it almost paralyzed us from beginning, especially since our expenses far exceeded our income, hence the credit card debt. And it was hard. We really had to tighten the reins for a few years to get to that point. But I'll tell you what it allowed us to do. It taught us how to live within our means. Something I'm very, very proud of is the fact that while our salaries have obviously increased in the past 10 years, we have not succumbed to too much lifestyle creep. Lifestyle creep is where you start getting a better paying job. So now you want a nicer car and maybe you're willing to put that big vacation on your credit card because, hey, it won't take that long to pay off, right? But for us, especially after living with anxiety around debt for most of our lives, it absolutely is no longer a hard choice for us. We always choose long-term financial freedom over short-term gratification from purchases every time. 
And the good news is, even though those first couple of years of our money managing were really hard, you know, we've been able to meet those goals for the last 10 years. And it's been great. And of course, like I said, you know, over those 10 years, we've, we've gotten raises and um, whatnot, but we're able to maintain that standard of living from before. And I think that's a huge freedom for us. And it gives us a lot of control over what our money can do. All right. So you're going to have an honest conversation about money. Then you're going to write down your income and expenses. And after that's on paper, you're going to set some short-term goals like paying off the specific debt and set some long-term goals like having a specific dollar amount in an emergency fund or living expenses saved up as well. All right. Now let's talk actual budgeting. Now that you see everything on paper or in an online spreadsheet, it's time to audit. This does not mean that you have to start cutting everything out, okay? It's just important to see where your money is going. And to be honest, the economy is really tough right now. So you might be living paycheck to paycheck. Depending on your situation, it also might not be currently feasible to make huge budget cuts. But Is there somewhere you can shift just a little bit? Take a look at your spending habits and see where you can cut out the excess. For us, it was eating out and monthly subscription services that were either redundant or not being fully utilized. It also meant we had to decline invitations from friends for certain activities because we couldn't afford to meet at restaurants or bars or whatever. So social gatherings, for the most part, couldn't center around events that cost money for us. Or we'd have to go and and understand that we were not buying things. These are the types of things we had to do without, including making new or luxury purchases for months. And in doing that, it forced us to become really resourceful and really prioritize what was most important for us. And as a side note, it also taught us to be happy with what we had. It really honestly did shift our mindset from getting that dopamine rush from buying new things all the time to taking pride in the items we already owned and being happy with what we already had purchased. I might end up making another episode that's a deep dive into our specific method of budgeting. But for now, you're just going to need to look at what to eliminate so that your income is greater than your expenses. Then what worked for us was to create budget envelopes. Mine actually were virtual, not physical envelopes with cash in them, but you could certainly do that. We set weekly budgets for each category of envelope. So for food, gas, household items, and personal spending. And let me tell you, when we first started budgeting, my personal spending money was $25 per week. That meant if I wanted to grab takeout for lunch or drive through coffee in the morning or buy something fun like clothing or makeup, it came out of that $25 a week, which means most weeks... I didn't spend it at all because I had to save up for multiple weeks to afford a single item. I mean, I think I think my husband actually had it worse. I think his personal budget was something like $15 a week. That's how strict we needed to be to get out of debt. The point is you want to eliminate as much as you can so that anything beyond the necessities 
goes towards your debt payments. You need to be throwing as much money as possible at the debt so that you can start putting that money towards savings or another backup. And I'm going to be honest, it's, it's going to sting. You're going to see big chunks of money going towards a credit card while you spend months or maybe years, like in our case, it took a couple years, doing without the things you want. But you can do it. So cut out what you can, budget for everywhere else. And after that, you need to make sure your income exceeds your expenses. Now, let's talk about the big secret credit card debt. When my husband and I first got married, we were both making less than $40,000 a year in California, which is significant. And we had thousands of dollars worth of credit card debt and tens of thousands in student loans. Before I jump into paying off credit cards, the one thing you cannot ever, ever do is miss a payment. I don't care if you need to make the minimum payment for the entire rest of your life. Don't miss it. Missing payments can make a huge dent in your credit score. So set reminders in your calendar or set up automatic online bill pay. But make sure you always pay your debt payments on time. You absolutely never want a debt to go to a collection agency. That can seriously tank your credit score and have much more serious consequences than just paying the minimum amount on time. So how do you know which credit cards to pay off first? For us, it was simple. We decided to go with the one with the highest interest rate. We threw as much money as possible at the credit card with the highest interest rate, but continued to pay the minimum payment on all our other credit cards. Then once the highest interest was paid off, we took our exact monthly payment that we were paying for that card and we put it on our next highest interest card. We kept going until it was all paid off. So for example, say we had one credit card with a $3,000 balance or $3,000 in debt with a 22% APR for interest and another credit card with a $7,000 balance or debt with a lower 10% APR for interest. Now, maybe your instinct is telling you, hey, I should pay off the card with the higher amount of debt first. I'm going to throw all of my money at that $7,000 card first. Assuming you're only paying the minimum amount on all your credit cards, the highest APR interest rate will always cost you more in interest payments than the higher debt balance. Now, some people like to pay off the higher debt balance first since it gives them a sense of accomplishment, like, the big credit card is done. Other people like to do what's called the debt snowball method, which is to pay off the smallest balance first since it can be paid off more quickly and then they pay the next highest balance. So if that works better for you in terms of motivation, by all means, do that first. There's lots of different options. And any of these methods can work as long as you're consistent and stick to the, your budget. And if your highest interest rate card is also your card with the highest balance or debt, then definitely tackle that one first. So let's go back to our example. If you used our method of paying off the highest interest card first. That means you would probably be paying a couple hundred dollars a month towards the $3,000 card with the 22% interest and the minimum amount on the $7,000 card with the 10% interest. After a few months, that $3,000 card is completely paid off. And now all that money 
that we were spending every month towards that one goes straight to the $7,000 card until that one's paid off while still paying the minimum on any other debt or any other credit cards we owe. Rinse and repeat until all the credit card payments are done. Something I want to share is that I don't want you to be embarrassed if you don't know how much debt you have or what the interest rates are. In my opinion, I find most credit card companies to be highly predatory and intentionally hide their tactics from their consumers. Also, you may not have realized that your credit card had an introductory interest of, I don't know, 0%, only to shoot up to 20 to 30% APR three months in. Some companies operate by being extremely low interest, like 2%, only to increase to 25% if your entire balance isn't paid off in the noted time period, like 12 months or 18 months. That means you could have paid off all but $1 of your balance, not paid any money in interest, and then that single dollar carried over to the 13th month, and now you owe back interest on your entire balance from the prior 12 months. See what I mean? So the best thing is to just call them. Ask what the balance is. Ask how much of that is interest, ask what the current percentage rate is, and if it's a variable rate that will go up after a certain time period, or if the balance isn't paid off in a specific time period. Also, while you're on the phone with them, here's some bonus tips that you can employ. Ask them to reduce the interest rate. That's right. You can just ask. (laughs) You'd be shocked how many companies just do it because you asked. The key here is that you've also been making your minimum payments on time. Use that to your advantage when you're negotiating a lower rate. We said, hey, we've been loyal customers for whatever X amount of years, and we've never missed a payment. Is there any way your interest rate could be lowered? And they did. Also, make sure your card, especially if it's a debit card, will decline the purchase if you don't have sufficient funds in the account, opposed to overdrafting on the account and charging you a fee. Overdrafting fees are some of the most predatory tactics that I think there are. The bank is going to penalize you for not having money by charging more money. So make sure it's enabled that your card is just declined if you don't have sufficient funds. Now, there are a few financial situations where it may be better in an emergency to have to just eat the overdraft cost, but That's going to be probably a a personal decision for you and your family. The other thing some credit card companies do is they actually might offer you a 0% APR for balance transfers. This means you're taking the debt from one card. Let's say, you know, you have a, a Wells Fargo card and you're transferring it to another credit card, say, you know, a Chase Bank card for a 0% APR. Now, this can actually be a pretty savvy move if it's done right. The trick, however, is to read the fine print. Just like before, you want to make sure that this isn't a variable rate that's going to skyrocket in a few months or that you're going to have to pay off the entire balance in a specific time period. So read the fine print. We actually did this with one of our cards and it ended up saving us 
a lot of money in interest payments um, because we transferred it over to another card with a 0% and we're able to pay it off and not have to pay the interest payments on from that original card. Here's the last tip I use to help drastically increase my credit score. One of the factors they use to determine your credit score besides your payment history and whether it was on time is your debt to credit ratio. This means how much debt you owe in relation to your overall line of credit. So for example, say I have a credit card with a $10,000 limit, but I only owe $500 on it. Well, my debt to credit ratio of $500 to $10,000 limit is relatively low. But if I maxed out that credit card and now I owe $10,000, then my debt to credit ratio is going to be extremely high. So credit score agencies like it when you have a credit line, but you're not maxing it out. This is why we decided not to close our credit cards after they were paid off, even though they had or some of them had super high interest rates and we didn't want to use them because of that. We wanted to make sure, though, that we maintained our high credit line even after we paid off our debt to maintain that really good debt to credit ratio. Now, I wouldn't necessarily recommend this tactic if you're the type of person to be tempted to put charges on those cards after you've paid them off. In that case, maybe you do have to close the account so it doesn't tempt you. But just know that there's risk involved with that and you might be better just cutting up the card or putting it out of reach. Speaking of, I hope it goes without saying that during this extreme budgeting, you need to stop charging items on your credit card. The only thing worse than skipping debt payments is to incur more debt. So that might mean you have to cut up or hide your cards, or at the very least, you need to remove all of your automatic payment fields from online shopping accounts like Amazon or what have you. Because you need to make it harder for you to buy things. (laughs) It's shocking to me how many items I, or impulse items, I should say, I choose to just skip buying because it means I have to physically get up off my butt, go upstairs, take my credit card out of a box, and hand type in all the numbers into an order. So when all else fails, sometimes making something have a bit more effort really is enough to stop you from doing it. Also, if you are not sure what your credit score is, you can get it for free um, once per year from the three different credit agencies. Now, this is assuming you're in the United States. The three main credit agencies are Equifax, or maybe it's Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion. And they use slightly different methods to calculate your credit report, but they end up being, you know, pretty close to each other when they're averaged out. What we did is because each of these credit report agencies will give you one free report per year, we didn't get them all at once, okay? Because then we'd have to wait a whole nother year to get the free report. Because they use pretty similar methods, and your score is going to be pretty much the same amongst them, we did one first. So say you do the uh, Equifax one first. Then we waited four months, and we got the Experian one. And then we waited four more months and got the TransUnion one. And now it's been a year, and we can go back and get the Equifax one. So 
if you space them out like that, instead of waiting an entire year to get all three, you can be checking in on them every couple months and have it go on indefinitely to monitor your, your credit report. Some banks actually are starting to do this now as well. So you might be getting... Um, you know, notices or whatever through your bank, what your credit score is. So either those can work and but they should be free. Don't pay for your credit reports if you don't have to. What's really great about having those credit reports, too, is they will show you all of the credit cards or debt that you have, how long they've been opened, if you've missed any payments, um, if you know any of them have gone to collections, maybe you don't know about. And what's great about that is when we looked at ours, we realized there were credit cards that we didn't use anymore, but we realized we also weren't using them. Like they were still sitting on there and they were something that we didn't consciously kind of realize we had or that we were using. So I would really suggest going in there. You can also dispute things like so say, for example, you know, you've always made a payment on time, but one of the credit card companies or places where you hold debt have said you've missed payments or whatever, you can look into all that as well. So I highly recommend getting those reports so that you have a starting point and you know where you're you're going from in terms of, of credit. And then eventually it is really nice once you get your credit score up enough, knowing that is super important when you go to do things that require a credit score. So maybe that is you know, buying a car or um, getting a mortgage for a home, that sort of thing. Knowing that you have a specific number, especially if you've gotten it quite high, can be a very powerful negotiating technique. And I and I would highly recommend not entering into any of those large purchases without knowing that number first. If you're listening to this right now and you have a lot of debt and it feels like an insurmountable task to pay it off, I just want you to know you're not alone. And if you're anything like I was, you might be thinking, man, if I could just make a little more money, or if I just had some sort of side hustle or extra cash flow, it would be enough. Like, all I need is more money, and all these problems will go away. And, you know, I mean, maybe that could be true. However, I will tell you a huge benefit to having debt, especially if it feels like that takes a long time to pay it off, is that it will absolutely make you value what it feels like to be debt-free. I, w- I really wish I had the words to convey to you how amazing it felt the first time we took our huge monthly payment that we used to pay towards our credit card debt every month for years. And we got to take that lump sum and finally put it in savings instead of a credit card payment. <laughs> that that was the best feeling ever. And I truly believe that having gone through that and, and the weight that debt gave us, being free of that made us never want to go back. So I think about that anytime I want to make a big purchase or a little piece of me wants to have a newer car or whatever, I remember how great it felt not to have a credit card bill to pay or a car payment and how all that money goes towards more long-term savings goals or things that truly make us happy like experiences with our family. Because that's the worst thing about debt, isn't it? You, you're paying 
monthly for an item or experience or thing or whatever that you already had. You've already gone on that vacation or you have that car or those luxury purchases and it's it's not something new you're getting every month with that credit card payment. It's something you already have had. And for me, it was things I didn't even enjoy anymore, which which was a huge bummer and a huge realization. But I also think that having gone through that experience has made me a better budgeter and money manager because I appreciate the struggle and what it feels like. It's made me an extremely conscious consumer and intentional with all of my purchases. And there is a lot of power in that, actually. So here's my point. I don't want you to be embarrassed or ashamed that you have debt. It's okay. You're not the only one going through this. And just because someone you know is living a glamorous lifestyle doesn't mean they're not swimming in bills. I mean, maybe they're really good with their finances, or maybe they took a second mortgage out on their house to afford their lifestyle. None of us know. So there's no reason to compare yourself or wish you weren't in this situation. This situation is going to teach you the skills you need to be fantastic at managing your finances. And while it might not be easy by any means, you're going to have so much control over your life through this process. It's going to feel extremely empowering for sure. I hope these tips were helpful for you to get started towards a debt-free life. Like I said before, I by no means am an expert in finances, but unfortunately, I've had to learn the hard way how to be financially savvy. So my hope is that I can provide some resources to help guide you through a smoother process. I also think that financial literacy is one of those things that's still pretty new to people in my generation or people like me. So I appreciate all the resources that are now available. Um, Incidentally, talking about money isn't really my niche for my channel or podcast, but I do really enjoy it now. So if budgeting or that sort of thing interests you, please let me know by leaving a review on iTunes or emailing me at info at thetimecrunchteacher.com. And if you're like, boo, this has nothing to do with teaching, then that's okay too. Um, I don't know what works and what doesn't unless folks let me know. So I mean, chances are if you made it this far, I would hope that it was useful to you. So I appreciate you listening. Which brings me to today's story. Boy, did folks let me know how they felt about this one. Now, this isn't exactly all in the classroom, but it stems from it. So right when we returned to in-person school during the pandemic, my students were looking for a way to do rock, paper, scissors while still being socially distant, while still being six feet apart from each other. And we actually came up with a really fun way to do it with full body movements. The kids loved it. My teacher friends loved it. It it was super fun. So it was right around that time that I created my YouTube channel and all the buzz was around this brand new feature called YouTube Shorts. (laughs) I know. Um, And since so few people were doing them, the YouTube algorithm was pushing them out to 
hundreds, if not thousands of people. And at the time, I was just starting and had maybe like, I don't know, like a dozen or so views on a few videos. And, you know, if I'm being honest, those are probably just like me and my mom. <laughs> um, thanks, mom. Um, so I came up with this great idea of doing my movement rock, paper, scissors video as a YouTube short. It's going to be hit. <laughs> And let me tell you, it was just not in the way I hoped. So I post this short and it immediately shoots to hundreds of views in the first hour. I mean, it had more views in the first hour than all of my other videos up to that point combined. And I'm pumped. Like, I'm super stoked. Until the comments came rolling in. It turned out that YouTube Shorts then and maybe now still it kind of goes out to like anyone <laughs> and my channel is very teacher focused <laughs> and this did not go out to teachers <laughs> i i don't know what sort of bloodthirsty creatures youtube sent my shorts video to but those critters were mean <laughs> Um, I'm pretty sure I got trolled by like an actual child too. It was so bad that I actually just completely pulled the video and I haven't done a shorts video since. And I mean, like, I think I might have one that happened to be a vertical video that got shifted to shorts, but I'll tell you what, I am not making that mistake again. <laughs> I like to imagine what sort of world these people live in that a... 20 second video of me showing a classroom game with no talking at all, just music, was enough to send them into a rage spiral, log into their account, click on the comments button, type out some angry, angry feelings, and hit submit. Meanies. Oh, you know what I should do? This will be our little surprise. If my YouTube channel doesn't pan out, I'm going to just reload up the video <laughs> to shorts and you will know that it's my final swan song before I peace out and quit. So it'll give you something to look forward to or not. <laughs> Whatever. Thank you so much for your kind attention today. What, what a hot mess mix of topics. I so appreciate that you hung with me to the end. Thank you so much. Until next time, teachers. See you then. Bye.